are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I want to speak to you a bit tonight for some verses that I find in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'd like to read... Uh, beginning with verse, uh, let's see, let's begin with verse number 6. Uh, but I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Now here's a principle that uh, takes a lifetime to learn. A young person couldn't really appreciate uh, that which Paul has said in that verse. But the older you live, the more you recognize that uh, to sow abundantly is to reap abundantly. It's more blessed to give than to receive, and when you sow uh, sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully, says that verse. Every man according to his, uh, as he purposed in his heart, as he so purposes in his heart, let every man. So let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now we've had this preacher use that verse oftentimes, don't we? as we receive the, the tithe and offerings in God's house on the Lord's name. And by the way, I do believe in tithing. And I believe the tithe is to be channeled through a local church. If the church is premillennial, fundamental, true to the Bible, if we sit there, or to be given to the local church. My wife and I give all our tithe to Tabernacle. We give other money uh, to other good Christian sources that we can, but the tithe belongs to the Lord or to be given to a local church, true to the Bible. And if you can't give your tithe through your local church, you need to move your membership. If your church is not true to the Bible, I wouldn't be in it. If it is true to the Bible, I'd support it with the Lord's tithe. Not grudging in of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now look at verse 8. For God is able to make all grace abound. And there's the theme that I want to talk about a bit tonight. Abounding in all grace. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. Now, what a promise that is. Let me read that verse again. That's verse number 8. For God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in every good work. And that promise is not qualified. It's yours, it's mine, and we ought to claim it uh, and enjoy that sufficiency of all grace that God is making available to you and me. Now turn one page in chapter number 12 and look at verse number 7. Lest I should be exalted, exalted above measure through uh, the abundance of of revelations. Now that's a very interesting thing to me when I read uh, Paul making that statement. He did undoubtedly have an abundance of revelations and the word is in the plural, by the way. And he wrote those revelations in the inspired scripture. The average man would have to war hard and fight hard to, uh, to, uh, to refuse to allow that, uh, to cause him to think of himself more highly uh, than he ought. And Paul is making that suggestion in verse number 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that God has given to me, that was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now here's the purpose of that thorn in the flesh. I don't know that anybody knows exactly what it involved, but the purpose is to keep Paul humble and to keep Paul meek and low and recognizing that what he is, he is by the grace of God. And he says that back in chapter number 15 and verse 10 of 1 Corinthians. And so he said, lest I should be exalted. And so uh, there was a thorn in the place, a messenger of Satan, 
to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, God gave that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, God gave that to Paul, and for a purpose, and it came from Satan, and the purpose of it was to keep Paul humble, lest he become exalted above measure. For this thing, about this thing, he called the thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord three times. I prayed and asked God three times that he might that this thorn in the flesh might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Note Paul said, For my strength. What a testimony. If ever I've seen a paradox, there it is. My strength is made perfect in weakness. How can that be? That sounds almost like a contradiction, doesn't it? That our strength be made perfect in weakness. And yet that's the testimony of the apostle. Um, he said, God revealed to me that the thorn will not depart from you, uh, but my grace is sufficient for you, said Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's strength and the strength of God as well is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, because of that great conclusion in the middle of verse number 9, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me, and that sufficiency of God's grace may be evident in my life. I therefore glory because of the thorn that I have in the flesh, and I bear it nobly, that my strength may be, may be uh, made perfect uh, in uh, weakness. Therefore... I take pleasure in infirmities, I take pleasure in reproaches, and I take pleasure in necessities, and I take pleasure in persecutions, I take pleasure in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. What a paradox again that is. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. I may become a fool in glory, and ye have compelled me, I said Paul. For I ought to have been commended of you. But in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Note the number of times he reminds us of the fact that he knows that he's weak. Though I be nothing, I count myself as nothing. But I'm going to glory in the fact that the grace of God is sufficient in my life. Now, I'm speaking to the, uh, for the most part uh, to people who might be easily classified as weak in grace are weak in faith. Every once in a while, God is gracious to the church, and God is gracious to all of us to raise up an institution like this one, or to give us a preacher uh, like uh, Brother Hudson and uh, a publication like The Sword of the Lord. These come from leaders that God ordains for you and me uh, to inspire us and to lead us along the way. And we marvel at the men who are great among us. This institution was built by one of the great giants of the Lord, certainly in all the 2,000 years of the history of the church. But not all of us can be a, jo a Bob Jones. And not all of us can be a Curtis Hudson. And not all of us are a Lee Robinson, you see. The most of us are weak in faith and weak uh, in grace. And sometimes we abhor ourselves because we're no greater than we are in faith and in grace. We stumble, we uh, find it difficult sometimes to know the perfect will of God in our lives, and we flounder, we fail, and we strike out uh, sometimes in our attempt to serve the Lord, and we cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am. I would that I could do what others do, and I would that I could be what others be. But uh, the fact remains that we are weaker, most of us are weak uh, in grace and weak in faith. Now, that's not to say that you're not saved. 
If you have faith in Christ, you are saved. And no one in this building will be able to tell me how much faith it takes to save you. How much grace uh, is, uh, uh, it takes to save you. You don't know the answer to that. You don't measure grace nor faith by inches or pounds or ounces, you see. If, you, if I could measure faith, uh, that much faith would save the vileness of the vile within this building. But it's not measured that way. Not meted out that way. A man has faith or he doesn't have faith. Now, I think it's possible for a man to have great faith, a great experience, and great grace. While on the other hand, it's quite possible for a man to be saved who may not have a great experience. Hardly worth telling. Or may not have great grace or great faith, you see. I never cease to marvel that God said, I suffer the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that rather unique that God would use that kind of analogy? Suffer the little ones to come to me, the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you listen to the big men, the great men, the mighty men, all the time while you'd say, I'm out, I'm so insignificant, I'm so weak, I'm so unworthy, there's no place for me in God's program. But don't you do that. Don't you do that. I don't think God slipped when He made the analogy about the little children, let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And the church is classified in that way, little people. Uh, despise not the day of little things a prophet in the Old Testament reminders of. Uh, have you ever wondered why God said, Consider the sparrow? Uh, why didn't God say, Consider the eagle? You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen an eagle in literal flight. I've seen pictures of the eagle flying uh, gracefully through the air, but I don't think I've ever seen literally an eagle fly. But sparrows around Greenville will make a nest in your hair if you don't flush them out. We've seen plenty of those, haven't we? But Lord passed by the mighty eagle. He didn't say, consider the eagle and all of its grace and splendor and beauty and strength as it sails up through the air with the greatest of ease. He didn't say that, but he said, consider the sparrow. And the sparrow is not great. The least creature, probably, of all the foul kingdom is the sparrow. And yet that's the one creature that got elected uh, in the analogy. Consider the sparrow, not the eagle. And that sparrow falls to the ground, and you say, well, that's nothing, that's nothing. And you're right. It's nothing. And yet in the Bible, uh, the analogy is set up between the sparrow and the weak believer, and the weak one in grace, and the weak one in faith. The sparrow falls to the ground, and you say, well, that's nothing. The sparrow is worthless. The sparrow cannot sing, nor can he soar through the air. And he's not a contest with the enemy that he may have. But the eagle will fight your back. You have an eagle, you have a problem on your hand. The eagle is mighty and strong and graceful and beautiful. But God passed him by and said, look at the sparrow. Now we are a house full of sparrows here tonight. We're a house full of little children. In our midst there are few eagles. Great men. And now to the ears, a few mighty eagles have graced this pulpit and preached to the students and in conferences at this great university. Mighty men of God, great men of God that we all reverence and respect and admire and pray for with thanksgiving. But the mass of us are like the sparrows. The mass of us are like the little children. Suffer them to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want us to think a little bit about that weak in grace. And weak in faith. 
Some of you had a great experience when you were born again, and I'm glad for it. Others of you are saved who might not have had such an experience. I don't say a great deal about my experience because nobody's interested in the kind of experience I had. Had I been a gambler, a cusser, a criminal, a convict, a murderer, a drunkard, a dauper, oh yes, I'd be invited to speak here and there but uh, because of my testimony, but I didn't happen to have that. I stand before you, a 74-year-old man, having never drank can of beer in my life. I'm glad it's that way. We sure messed up my testimony. I, I don't know one deck, uh, one card from the other in a deck. I've never handled a deck cards in my life. I remember one time I slipped over next door when I was a boy, and some of the older boys were playing cards. And my mother found out some way I was there. She left the house and came to the other house uninvited without knocking, caught me by the ear. And I do believe my right ear to this day is longer than the other. She caught me by the ear and let me out of that house. Because they were gambling with a dirty deck. I know nothing about that. And uh, I never used God's name in vain in my life. Never cursed in my life. Never. Don't plan to start now. I get agitated every once in a while, but I've never cussed. But God saved me. And, and my faith may be weak when I compare it with the faith of other people. And my grace may be weak when I compare it with the grace of other people. But I have faith. I'm like the sparrow, I'll admit that. I'm like the little children, I'll admit that. But I'm in, praise God, I'm in. Amen. I'm on the inside. And I sit down every once in a while with the big eagles and the mighty men and the great men. And they feed me. And they inspire me and they lift me. But I'm one of the crowd by the good grace of God. So I'm speaking to the majority when I speak of you with little faith and with little grace. And sometimes you abhor yourself. And say, I would that I could be more than I am, and do more than I do, and accomplish more than I'm able to accomplish. And you abhor yourself, like Paul in Romans 7. But not, not, don't do that. Uh, because you're God's child. Maybe not great in the eyes of some, but you're God's child. Now about the weakest in grace, and the weakest among us in faith, may I say a thing or two to you? And I hope you'll make a mental note of it. Number one, the weakest grace has a throne of God's grace to supply it. Now what more could you ask than that? My grace may not be as great as the grace of another man. Or my faith may not be as great that I can speak and move a mountain. But as a weaker a believer, I have access to a throne of God's grace. Able to supply the grace I need at any moment under any circumstance, any time, you see. I have access to that throne. I can approach the throne of God's grace boldly any day I need God's grace. You know, if God gave us enough grace today to last us until we died, we'd die early, we'd die now. We couldn't take it. The grace of God's a wonderful thing. And so I can't take it more than God's given at one time. But piecemeal as I need it, I approach the throne of God's grace and he supplies what I need for the sparrow and for the little children. And he'll do the same thing for you. I've seen some men uh, with great faith come out of the altar with great faith. Great saving faith. And I look at them sometimes and marvel at their saving faith. I see men come out of the altar shouting the praises of God. Because they were saved. It was so real and so wonderful until they couldn't refrain from rejoicing that the grace of God had saved them. 
But not all of us had that. I remember years ago, I had a lady come forward at the prayer altar tabernacle. And we sent her back to the prayer room where some of the workers could read the Scripture and pray with her. And we seemed to get nowhere. And after a good while, I dismissed the crowd. And after a long while, she said, Go bring my father, my daddy, into the prayer room. They brought her daddy into the prayer room. Then they prayed a bit more and read the Scripture a bit more. And then uh, in a moment, she received Jesus. And she began shouting. I mean, just old-fashioned Baptist shouting. She began shouting in that prayer room. You couldn't have heard a prey train go by. We joined in with her and shouted with her. And I left the prayer room after a moment, went out to the platform. And uh, while the people were leaving the church, I felt a tug at my coattail. And a little girl looked up to my face, maybe six years old, not over, seven maybe, and said, uh, Preacher, I want to be saved. But I didn't send her to the prayer room. I wanted the privilege myself. So I bowed there on the platform by that little girl, and in simple, childlike faith, some of the little children had gone to me. That little girl was saved. There were no tears. There was no shouting. There was no emotion involved. She earnestly and sincerely and definitely accepted Jesus. And brethren, you don't add anything to that. When a man comes to accept Jesus Christ, or a child, that's it. Don't you dare say, hang around for a second word, or a third word. When they accept Jesus, they're in. And that little child accepted Jesus as calmly as anything you've ever seen, and without any emotion. And I thought about the contrast. I just walked out of the hurricane into a calm breeze. Both the women were saved. The older woman was saved. The little child was saved. But don't you reckon down the road, that little child might say, Well, I didn't shout like they were shouting at Tabernacle that night about the lady becoming saved. And the old devil of browbeat her and threaten her and harass her and intimidate her. But if she believed and received Jesus, as I believe she did, she may be a sparrow or maybe a child, but she's in the kingdom of heaven as surely as you have me pray. And so I say to you, the weakest grace has a throne of grace uh, to supply grace when you need it. Number two, the weakest faith has a God of all grace to delight in it. I think the Lord delights to see you lean upon Him and call upon Him for mercy and help in the time when you feel your weakness. I don't think God delights in you strutting about or displaying uh, your great grace or your great faith or how great you are in the Lord. I don't think God pleases with that. A proud look is an abomination unto God. God hates pride. And I don't think God lowers in that. But I do believe that when a child, using the analogy, on the sparrow, weak and insignificant, moves on and then from that uh, simple life and that simple grace and that simple faith, looks up into the face of God and says, Lord, I need you, and I need you greatly, and I need you right now. I believe God delights in that. I think my Heavenly Father shuts off the angel choirs and says, You be quiet now. I want to hear that sparrow talk to me. I want to hear that child speak to me. And God is delighted to supply the need when the little child calls upon God. Or when that one weak in grace and weak in faith may call upon God along the way. Better remind you also that the weakest has a mediator of grace to influence it. I may not be a moody or a smirgent, 
But I'm a saved sinner by the grace of God. Maybe weak. Nothing and a nobody to use the terms of Paul that I read to you just a moment ago. He said, I'm weak. I'm nothing. I'm the chief of all the apostles as far as sin is concerned. And yet, we have a mediator in heaven. Yes. That baby, that child, that sparrow has a mediator in heaven. That weak believer, that dear woman, timid and shy, or that man, weak and inexperienced, not strong in the Bible, or strong in the Lord, has a mediator on high. You know who that mediator is, don't you? It isn't Mary. No. It's not Peter either. But that mediator is named Jesus. The Bible gives me his name. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Not a mediatrix, Mary, but a mediator. When that great mediator looks down at that sparrow struggling to survive, or that child struggling with self and sin, he says, Father, that's my child. That's your child. Give that child grace. He intercedes at the throne of God's grace for me and you. The weakest person in the building has a mediator to influence sufficient grace for you in this life. Do you think that mediator, my Savior, has to twistle, uh, uh, twist God's arm or wrestle God's arm? Not at all. At the moment the mediator suggests there's a need of grace, that moment grace is on the way for the sparrow and for the children and for the weak in grace, you see. And so I'd remind you also, the weakest in faith have a spirit of grace to, uh, to brood over it, or that weak one. A spirit of grace to brood over you. In the first verse in the Bible, the Bible tells me God created the heavens and the earth. And in the second verse of the Bible, there was not any form and there was darkness over the face of the deep. And in that verse it tells me, and the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the deep. And out of that darkness brought light. Out of that chaotic condition brought order. And the word brood is there. Uh, the Bible says moved upon the face of the deep. But the implication is the Spirit brooded like a chicken broods over her little ones. The blessed Spirit of God brooded over the face of the deep and brought out of that chaos, order, and light. That's a miniature of the new birth. Every man that's ever been saved was in darkness and a chaotic condition when God found you. And the Spirit of God loved you and brooded over you in that chaotic condition. And out of that brought life and light and order and things that are worthwhile. Now every weak believer, every weak in faith, everyone weak in grace has the Holy Spirit to brood over you. And if the Spirit of God is that much concerned about you, you don't have a great deal to fear, do you? You may not be able to accomplish all you'd like to accomplish and be all you'd like to be, but the Holy Spirit is mindful of you. His eye is upon the sparrow, and I know that He watches you. He broods over you. I take great courage in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 22 to know that when I come to die and my body is buried, the Spirit of God will take note of the burial of my body and know exactly when I'm where I'm buried. And when the resurrection morning comes, I'll be quickened by the Spirit, I'm told, and lifted out of that grave. You won't be able to hide or say from the brood and Spirit of God. He knows where you are in life. He knows where you are in death. And so weak in faith, weak in grace, yet we have the Spirit of God to brood 
over us. And that reminds you also that though we may be weak in grace and weak in faith, uh, we have God's all grace to preserve it. God, the God of all grace, to preserve what I have. Haven't got much. But what I have can't be lost. I don't have great experiences, but what I have I can't lose. Uh, by the standard of the world, I'm a little fella, a sparrow, and a child. But what I've got, what I have, I can't lose it. Because the God of all grace has promised to keep it and preserve me and to keep me from falling. And I think the God of all grace has His eye upon every one of we in this building tonight. Whatever you may roam, whatever may happen, God has His eye upon you. The devil has His eye upon we also. And the devil likes to threaten and harass and intimidate you and get you to believe that I'll take you and carry you to hell. But the devil can't do that to the least one of us. Uh, because the Spirit of God uh, is the God of all grace to preserve what God has done in your salvation and in mine. He'll keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. I need fear nothing. How? Why should I fear? When the weak, I'll admit, I have the God of all grace to preserve my faith and to preserve my grace until I arrive at destination. Then I remind you also that the weakest in faith I have a promise of God to pass over it. That word, Passover, I like that word. When I was a boy, I had the idea that the Passover down in the land of Egypt meant that on the night of the death of the firstborn, the death angel or the angel of the Lord passed over the house when he saw the blood. He passed on to another. And it meant to pass on to another. But I learned that it doesn't mean that. It means that when he saw the blood, and he, if you're saved, you have the blood. You're sheltered by the blood. You're identified by the blood. You're reconciled by the blood. You're washed by the blood. And that uh, angel saw that blood. He hovered above you. And the word Passover means he hovered above you. And he'll continue to hover above you to shelter you from the death angel. Now that's a promise that I have from the Lord. No condemnation to them that in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, but I'm a little fella. And I can't fight the giant like David did. But it's not. If you're in God's family, you have the promise of God that He'll pass over you and shelter you from the death angel. And then I remind you also, the weakest in grace and the weakest in faith have the seal of God to mark it. We're told in the Ephesian epistle that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And I believe every believer, big believer and little believer, the sparrow and the eagle, the little child of the giant, every believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The moment you get born again, the Spirit comes into your body. Maybe as a child, maybe as an intermediate, a young person, the Spirit comes into your body that moment. And that Holy Spirit marks you and identifies you as purchased possession. You belong to another. He sealed you by the Holy Spirit. And that seal cannot be reputed, nor can it be removed. That seal has a great deal of authority, both in heaven and upon the earth. All of you use a postal service. You mail uh, letters one to another. Sometimes you may send money to Bob Jones University. 
or some other radio of some church. Many of our people sometimes mail their tithes and offerings uh, to Tabernacle, and that's good. You put it in an envelope. You put a stamp on the corner. And that envelope is placed in the mail. You seal it up. Just a piece of paper can easily be torn apart. And down in the post office, there are thieves. They're crooks. In the post office, not all people who are in the post office are crooks. Please don't misunderstand me. But you have crooks in the post office like you have them in the grocery store, like you have them in churches. Not everybody is honest. But down in the post office, somebody will see that letter addressed to Bob Jones University. And they conclude there's money in that. They'd like to have that. There's money in that envelope. And they're just about ready to slip it in their pocket or tear the end out of it, slip the money out. And they look on the front and there's a seal. Just a plain stamp. A postage stamp. A piece of paper. Not much. But it says more than you think. Uh, That stamp says to that thief, don't you touch this letter. That stamp says to that thief, if you bother this letter, if you destroy this letter, or deface this letter, or lose the contents of this letter, the postal inspector will be on your neck. You better put that back where it belongs. Don't you touch that. And so that, that thief gets afraid because he sees the seal, and he puts it back in the mail, and finally gets the destination. Now we have something like that in our experience with God. I'm just a sparrow, not much. But I have a seal upon me. And the big birds come by and they say, I'll eat you up, little fella. I'll ruin you. I'll destroy you. But they look at me the second time and they see that seal. And God says, Mr. Eagle, you better be on your way and let that sparrow alone. Don't you bother that sparrow. Because my eyes are upon him. And you bother him, I'll bother you. Now we're sealed. We're sealed by the Spirit of God until we arrive home. Every one of us, the little in grace, the little in faith, the weak in grace, and the weak in faith. I can't remove a mountain, but I have a Savior. I can't build a great Bob Jones University, but I have a Savior. I can't build a great church, but I have a Savior. And I can't sing like Brother Smith, but I have a Redeemer. The old devil said, no, you don't. Yes, I do. Take a look. I have a Savior. And that's not how weak you may be in grace, or weak you may be in faith. His eye is upon you, and He'll never leave you, nor forsake you, until you arrive at destination. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And He's not a refuge only to the eagle. He's a refuge to the sparrow. And to my little children, may God bless you in my prayer. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.